Hey there, everyone. This is Pastor Seth from Reachway Church. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Reachway Sermon Podcast today. Um, you might be wondering why you're hearing from me right now <laughs> instead of our what our normal recordings sound like during the service. Well, we had some, some technical difficulties this last Sunday morning. Uh, where we weren't able to record the sermon, but I still wanted to get on and make sure that those who follow along with us on this uh, podcast, on this recording, are still able to track with us as we journey along uh, currently in our Love Peoria series. So I'm going to kind of be walking through the sermon kind of in an abbreviated format, um, so those who follow along with us are still able to uh, participate and track with the journey that we're on in this Love Peoria series. Um, but we are, as it, as it is, we are in week five of this Love Peoria series, and we've got one more week coming up. Uh, next week's going to be really fun. I'm going to be interviewing Brian from the Dream Center Peoria. Uh, Brian is their director of development, and him and I are going to be talking about primarily their three core values at Dream Center, and how that influences our love for others. Their, their values are dignity, compassion, and purpose. And so him and I are going to be talking about what that looks like at the Dream Center, but then also have a conversation around what that looks like for us and how dignity and compassion and purpose should shape our love towards others. So that's going to be next week. But I want to recap uh, this entire Love Peoria series, this entire series is founded on one of the questions that Jesus was asked the most, which is, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus was asked this question by different groups of people, different people who were asking that question for different reasons. But at the very end of the day, what we have concluded on is that um, at the we, as people, as humans, desire to know if something can be boiled down. What does everything boil down to? And that's what Jesus was asked time and time again. And that question was not, hey, what does this all boil down to? But that question came in the form of, what is the greatest commandment? And in Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31 we read that Jesus says, the first commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. These two are the greatest commandments. There's no commandments greater than these. And so we have crafted an entire series that talks about loving Peoria and what it looks like to love Peoria as ourself. In the very first week of this series, um, we talked about how this command, love your neighbor as yourself, has been with the people of God for so long. If you're familiar with the scriptures in any way and, and how they're laid out, we actually see the command, love your neighbor as yourself, way back in the book of Leviticus, um, one of the first books of the Bible where we're starting to see the people of God now free from, from Egypt and God is reorienting their lives around these certain commands, these certain ways of being. And he gives them this command, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we talked about in that first week, which seems like so long ago, 
that this command to love our neighbors as ourselves has been with us for generations, for millenniums. So we talked about that. In the second week of our series, we were joined by Pastor Gary, who is the pastor of Divergent City Church in the south side of Peoria. And he taught us that our love is to be the light of the world. And we talked about how how that love and our light is supposed to change the atmosphere. We talked about how, yes, there are areas of physical light and there are areas of physical darkness. But what we focused on in that second week was how if we were to really pay attention to the surroundings around us, then we would notice that there's just void. And when it comes to narrative, when it comes to um, lifestyle, that there are voids all around us where there's not necessarily a positive narrative being spoken over anyone or a negative one. There's just nothingness. And so Pastor Gary challenged us and said, our light, our love in this world is supposed to change the atmosphere. It's supposed to change the narrative. Where there is void, our love is supposed to come in with hope and with joy and with positivity. The third week of the sermon series, we talked about how we're the salt of the earth. So we took another image. The the second week, we talked about light. This third week, we talked about how we're salt. And we looked at three primary reasons and ways that salt was used back in the time of Christ when he used this example for the first time, that we're the salt of the earth. And we looked at those three ways that salt was primarily used, and we tried to figure out how that should influence then how we view ourselves at the salt of the earth. Those three ways are that salt flavors the earth, um, flavors our food, and so our love is supposed to flavor the, the world around us. Salt was also used to help things grow. People actually put salt in the soil that they were wanting to grow crops and other plants so that the salt would break down some of the the negative toxins and harmful toxins, create healthier soil, and in turn bring healthy healthy things to grow. So we talked about how our love is supposed to um, influence healthy growth in the life of others. And then salt also preserves. We talk about how Um, salt is obviously a preservative. A lot of us try to avoid it in certain foods, but we talked about how us being the salt of the earth means um, that we are to help preserve um, the kingdom of God that we choose to participate in the ways of Christ, the ways of thinking and being and doing. And then last week we answered another question that was asked by Jesus. That question was, who is my neighbor? And we talked about the reality that yes, we know that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So we took that command and we broke it down in certain ways. And we asked, yeah, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but who is my neighbor? And so we looked at the story of the Good Samaritan. It's the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells in response to that question, who is my neighbor? And what we concluded is that beyond any label or category, such as um, my neighbor is the person that I live next to, or my neighbor is my family and friends, or my neighbor is those I go to church with, or my neighbor is X, Y, or Z. We tried to remove all of those labels. And what we concluded on 
is that our neighbor is simply the one who is in our path. At any given moment in time, any place we could find ourselves, our neighbor is the one who is there with us right then and there. Our neighbor is the one who's in our path. And so we tried to answer that question. By the way, all of those sermons, if you missed any of those, those are online as well on our website at reachway.org slash listen. Or if you are here on Apple Podcasts, then you can find those sermons as well. But I'd like to begin our talk this week by starting with where we ended last week. Last week, we ended with this phrase, with this thought, is that loving our neighbors as ourselves has less to do with who we love and more to do with how we love. Now, the reason that we had this discussion last week is because of the dialogue that surrounds the question, who is my neighbor? The word neighbor is often defined differently by different groups of people. And we talked about that last week, but that's why I want to start with it this week. We learned in the story of the Good Samaritan that we need to remove those labels. In the time of Christ, the reason that the question, who is my neighbor, was asked is because there were different groupings of people that thought certain things about, for example, Greeks, instead of Jews, or Gentiles instead of Jews, or people who lived in that country or lived in that village, or even things like the rich and the poor, even things like men and women. Um, Now, a lot of those labelings, a lot of those social categories are still things we deal with today. And so that's why this question, who is my neighbor, is such an important one to ask. But last week, we, we said that this has far less to do with who. The, the, the power of the story of the Good Samaritan um, can be found in several different areas of that story. And one of the areas is right at the end when Jesus asks the person who asks Jesus, who is my neighbor, Jesus says, out of all these people, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan in the story, um, Jesus asks, who is my neighbor? And that person doesn't respond with another label. He doesn't say, it's the Samaritan. Samaritans are neighbors. No, he responds and says, the neighbor is the one who showed mercy. And so we realize that being a neighbor has to do with how we are loving. In this example, the one who shows mercy, that's the how. So today I'd like to discuss further some potential understandings of the how. Um, we, we, we believe and we have come to find that loving our neighbors as ourselves has more to do with how we love. So let's take today and talk about that how. And I want to start with what you may have heard to be the golden rule. Now think back to your classrooms growing up. Um, when, when we were students in elementary school, maybe there was a poster hanging on one of your classroom walls that said the golden rule. And it said something to the effect of treat others as you want to be treated. Now there is biblical comparison to this. It's not the golden rule necessarily, but what we've been talking about these weeks is love your neighbor as yourself. So you can see that there's some comparison between Treat others as you want to be treated and love your neighbor as yourself. But what if I told you that the buck doesn't stop there? What if I told you that Jesus, in his Jesus-typical form, takes this one step further? So this is what I want to talk about is 
that this golden rule or loving our neighbor as ourselves, treating others as you want to be treated, it's very human. And this is what I mean by that, is we're talking about neighbors and we're talking about ourselves. The, the golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated, love your neighbor as yourself, those are two human ways of going about things. You've got your human neighbor and you've got your human self. Loving our neighbors as ourselves is very human, and there's nothing wrong with being human, but this is what often happens is we hear the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. We immediately turn to ourselves in order to shape our love for others. So we say things to ourselves like, well, if I was in this situation like they are, then I would want to be loved in this way. And so we look in at ourselves to our own predispositions, our own interests and passions and things like that. And we say, well, if I would want to be loved this way, then surely they would want to be loved this way as well. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there is something grander than the golden rule. <laughs> and and we don't need to attach another thing to it like platinum or diamond or anything like that. If you'd like to, you can. But what if I told you that there is something even farther beyond loving your neighbor as yourself and perhaps not something farther beyond, but perhaps there's something that Jesus says that provides us just a little bit more clarity on what he means by that. And so I ask you this question. Did you know that God calls us to be holy? Did you know that? If you're familiar with the scriptures at all, then you might be familiar with this phrase that actually the apostle Peter gives us in 1 Peter chapter 1. This is what he says. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, the Apostle, the Apostle Peter was one of Jesus' right-hand guys, and in the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament, outlines the story of the earliest church and how they served people and how they spread the good news. Peter was was one of the heads of that early church. He did a lot of the preaching, a lot of the leading. And Peter writes a couple of letters. And we see those letters in the New Testament. In the first of those two letters, he's talking about God, the one who calls us. He is holy. And so in response to his holiness and him calling us, we are to be holy as he is holy. Now, when Peter says, for it is written, he is actually referring to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. He's referring to a command that God gave so long ago. This command that God gives well early on in the life of the people of God is that we're supposed to be holy just like God is. And I want us to know how unique this is to the Christian faith. Because in certain ways, God is saying, you can be like me. And if you are familiar with how other gods in this world or in ancient history were viewed or are viewed, it's very unique for a deity, for a god, for a higher power 
to be se- to be seen as one that says you can actually be like me. Oftentimes when we think of the concept of God, we think of one that is higher, stays higher, stays above, and is always kind of looking down and judging and keeping keeping track of our rights and our wrongs and and all of these different things. But what we see from this God in particular, the God of 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 the Christian faith, is that he says, be holy as I am holy. And in some ways he's saying, you can be just like me. So I want us to see a few things just in this invitation to be holy as, as he is holy. The first is that this takes an incredible amount of humility for our God to show, for this even to be made possible, for this level of equality to be presented to humanity, such a strong amount of humility to be shown by God. Do you see the longing for relationship that God has? When he says, be holy as I am holy, we are being invited into him, We are being invited into his presence and into his being. So there's a longing for relationship that's here. And there's also such a strong amount of trust that God has in order to even consider the idea of of allowing the humans that he created to be like him. Such a strong level of trust to invite all of humanity into this relationship with him. And so he asks, be holy as I am holy. He invites us in to this way of being. And so let's ask the question, where does love your neighbor as yourself and holiness meet? Where do those two concepts meet? And so I want to present to you perhaps a rule That is higher than the golden rule. Okay, so we've heard the golden rule. Treat others as you want to be treated. The biblical comparison of that is love your neighbor as yourself. I want to extend that. I want to present to you perhaps another rule or another step in this rule. And it's this. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 12. This is what Jesus says to the crowd. Love each other. As I have loved you. Do you see the shift? Do you see the progression that's taking place here? We've got our golden rule treat others as you want to be treated. We have our biblical comparison to that love your neighbor as yourself. And do you see how Jesus takes that one step further and says, love each other as I have loved you? He incorporates our humanness with his holiness. He says, you, you are to love each other, but you are to love each other through my example, as I, in my holiness, in my perfection, have shown love to you. So I want to talk about three particular ways That God has and God does actively love us. Because when he says, love each other as I have loved you, now we need to take a step back and we need to say, well, how has he loved us? Because then our love for others becomes shaped. But before we do that, I want to address a potential reality 
that might exist um, for you as you're listening to this. Um, and, and, the, and the reality is this, is that you might not be fully convinced that God loves you or that God is a God of love. Or you might be in a spot where you're not completely convinced that God loves you to the degree that you have heard other people talk about his love. And man, you know, this is a place that people find themselves um, in, in a lot of stages of life. Um, this is a place where people who are not even necessarily um, part of the church or would say that they follow Christ find themselves in from time and time. These are places that people who have been following Christ for decades find themselves. It's time and time again, we get to this place, something happened, uh, a circumstance arose, where we just sit back and say, man, is, is God's love real? Is it real for me? Is it real for this world? And the reason I bring this up is because I want you to know something. It's okay to lack trust. It's okay not to know everything. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be human. But what I want us to know by the end of this talk is that while it is okay to feel all of those things, and believe me when I say this, it is okay to believe those things and think those things, but it doesn't mean that it's true. You know, there, there's a lot of times where we, we get ourselves in this line of thinking, um, and then all of a sudden, when we think in certain ways, we just believe those things to be true. If I, if I think this, it must be true. And I, and I want you to know, whoever's listening to this, I want you to know that if you're just not completely convinced that God's love is real or is what you have heard it talked about before, I want you to know that that it is. I want you to know that God does, does love you. So we're going to talk about three ways that God does love us. And hopefully by the end of this, we will also have three ways that um, our love should be given towards others. John 15, 12, love each other as I have loved you. So we're going to look at three ways that God loves us. And hopefully we can find three then three ways then that our love can be shown towards others. And we're going to be looking at the words of a guy named Paul. Now, Paul is someone who himself we read about in the book of Acts that was radically transformed by the love of Christ. Uh, Paul, and before his name changes to Paul, his name was actually Saul. And his career before um, meeting Jesus <laughs> was persecuting Christians. His job, his career, his, his life, his 40 hours a week was spent finding Christians um, and, and persecuting them, arresting them, in some ways killing them. Um, and this is why he did that, because in, in this particular time and place, it was against the law to follow Christ. The reason it was against the law is because there were emperors and dictators and um, you, you can think of, you know, presidents or officials, however you want to transcribe that, um, that demanded full and total allegiance from their people. And 
people followed Christ in such a way to where they completely disregarded the governing authority in terms of allegiance. They said, I know you are the ruler, the human ruler of this land, but I choose to follow Christ. And so Paul was in charge of finding those people who would not give up their following of Christ and persecute them, punish them. Then one day, Paul is traveling along, and he has this dramatic experience with Jesus, this dramatic conversion experience where where he meets Jesus on a road, Jesus comes to him, and he has this dramatic conversion where Jesus calls him to follow him. He says, I know you've been persecuting me, but I am calling you to so much more. And his life then is radically impacted by Christ's love. And then he writes a bunch of letters to a bunch of different churches. He has a great ministry of leading other people towards the love of Christ, just like his life was led towards the love of Christ. And he has this ministry, and part of his ministry is writing letters to certain churches. And it's in these letters that we find Paul writing about Christ's love. So the the words that we're going to read today about God's love for us are not words written um, as though God spoke them. These are words that were written by someone, an actual person that was radically transformed by Christ's love. And I, and I think it's fun to read these words because it really shapes and helps us put witness and human testimony to this. So I want to talk about three ways that God does love us from the Apostle Paul and how these three things should shape how we love others. The first one is this. God loves us unconditionally. His love for us is unconditional. This is what Paul says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. We often get trapped in a way of thinking that says, God can't love me because I have done fill in the blank. Um, I've done this and this and this. I've made those decisions. I've spent my time and money this way. I've thought these things. I've done these things. There's no way that God can love me. But this just simply is not true. Keep in mind once again, the person who has now come to know that even while we were dead in our transgressions, God loved us. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, who was punishing people who at one point followed Christ. And Paul says, even when we were dead in our transgressions, even in our misbehavior, even in our waywardness, when we were digging our own selves into a hole, there was nothing that stopped the love of God towards us. Unconditional love. There's not a list of things that you can do that God references before he chooses to love you or not. There is not a thing that you can do. There's not a thing that anyone could do that separates them from God. Um, and that 
requires God to stop loving them. So first of all, God's love for us is unconditional. The second thing is this, that God's love for us is unnoticeable. First one is unconditional. The second one is unnoticeable. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At our worst moments, God loves us. At the moments when we feel or felt before most distant from God, he showed compassion on us. He extended his love towards us. Paul says, while we were still sinners is when his love was so beautifully displayed where Christ died for us, making possible life made new here on earth. So I actually want to read a passage from the book of Acts chapter 14. This is an account of the gospel, the good news being presented to a group of people. Um, the, the book of Acts we've already talked about is a, a book in scripture. It's a book in the New Testament um, that talks about the very first church and the very first movement of Jesus followers who would eventually be called Christians. And throughout the book of Acts, the gospel or the good news of Jesus is presented to different groups of people. And it's also presented in different ways. Um, if you read through all of them, there is a certain formula, but there are also certain details. And, I, and, and the people who present the gospel know their audience and they know what they're going through. They know what they've gone through. And so they bring God's story, God's storyline, God's good news, and they mix it with their storyline. And so here's an example of this. Acts chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. Uh, the person who's presenting the good news says this. In the past, God let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. What the person who is presenting the gospel is saying there is that even when we were going our own way, even when we were not mindful of the things of God, even when God was the last thing on our minds, he was still providing for us, giving us rain and sunshine so that our crops would grow. And, and you can kind of draw that into comparison as, as even when we weren't mindful of God, were we still not eating food? <laughs> Were we still not alive? Were we still not living? Were we still not being provided for? Even when we didn't know that God was there, he was there knowing us and loving us. So God's love for us is unnoticeable. And the third thing is this, is that God's love for us is life-giving. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, 
just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Christ's love for us is life giving. And we look at this in two different ways. The first one is probably the most obvious is that Christ loved us in such a way to where he gave his life up for us. Life giving. He gave his life up for us. But the second way that we can look at this is a way where when we experience this love, we are given new life. So in love, Christ gives his life up for us. And when we experience this love, we are given new life. So Christ's love is life giving where we receive new life on earth and out of this new life, we are to help see others experience this new life as well. So three ways that God loves us and keep in mind, these are not the only three ways that God shows his love, but these are three ways that I wanted to bring to mind for this discussion. Because once again, we have been told by Jesus that we are to love each other as he has loved us. What are three of those ways? He loves us unconditionally, unnoticeably, and his love is life giving. And so there's a few different challenges here. And there's a few different, uh, perhaps, uh, kinds of people, types of people, people that are in certain areas and stages in their life that I would like to speak to here as, as we close. Uh, the first one is the person who is not completely convinced that God's love is those things, um, that it is unconditional, that it is unnoticeable, that it is life-giving. Um, I, I want to speak to that person, and I want to say it is okay to feel that. Um, I know, and, and a lot of other people who, who choose to follow Christ know that, that, they, that they have felt that as well. I have felt that myself. Um, no reason not to be honest, right? Um, but I want you to know that, that you are still on a journey. And I hope that even in certain ways that you have seen glimpses or that you have tasted his love. Um, and I would encourage you, keep journeying, keep exploring, uh, keep putting in um, time and effort to really learn for yourself what this love is all about. Um, I, I also want to speak to another kind of person that might be listening to this. That person is someone who at one point was just completely convinced that God is love. God loves me. God is a loving God and shows me how to love others. And you at one point in your life knew you were totally convinced. You didn't need to hear another sermon. You just knew God is love. And then that one thing happened. That one loved one got sick and passed away. Um, that one thing happened at work. That one thing happened to your neighbor. That one thing happened in another part of the country or another part of the world. And you went from a place where you were convinced that God was love. And then that one thing happened. I want to present to you 
um, a, a very interesting way of thinking. And, and this is a way that we're called to think as those who follow Christ, as, as people who choose to, to view life and approach life in a different way. And, and it's a very interesting thing that, that we are presented with in the scriptures. And it's this way of thinking is that when we are at our weakest, God is made most strong in our lives. Um, we read in the scriptures that his power, his grace, his love, his mercy is made perfect in the moments when we are at our weakest. So to the person who feels lost, confused, to the person who once knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what was true about God and now is questioning, now feels weak, now feels uncertain, I want you to know that that is the space where God can most perfectly and beautifully encounter your life and remind you of what you once knew. So do not be afraid when you are weak. Do not be afraid when you fear because it's God that enters into that space to show you who he truly is and who he is for you. And I also want to speak to the person that is convinced to the person who's listening to this right now. And they're like, yeah, I, you know, I, I have just known that God is love and I believe that he is love and I believe he does love me unconditionally. And I believe that he does love me unnoticeably and that his love gives me life. First, I want to say, praise the Lord. <laughs> it's so, what a great spot to be in, to just know um, that this is what I want to challenge you with. If you know it for yourself, do you give that to others? Um, do you love others unconditionally? And, and these are questions I've had to ask myself. Are there a list of things that someone has to do or is there a list of things that if someone does, I avoid that, that lets me love them or not? Do we love others unconditionally without any conditions or prerequisites? Here's one that I've been wrestling with. Here's a question. Is do, do we need to love others um, in order to get noticed? Another way of saying that is, does our love need to go noticed in order for, in, in order for us to love others? You know, we talk about how God's love is unnoticeable, that when we weren't even paying attention, when we weren't even mindful of it, he was loving us. And a question that we all have to ask ourselves is at the end of the day, do, do we love others so that we can be noticed by our love? Man, that, that's, one, that's one that we have to wrestle with. And another question we ask is when we love others, do others receive life? Is our love life-giving to others? These are questions that, that I hope that as your week goes on, you're able to consider and bring to mind. Um, but I want you to know um, that there is not a safer journey that you can be on than one that um, desires to know more about Christ. There's not a safer journey that you can be on than a journey that is designed and crafted around exploring more about who this God is. So I would encourage you, keep journeying. Keep journeying and keep asking God to, to give you 
his eyes so that you can see the areas in life where you are to bring the love that you have been so freely given from God. So thank you for listening to, to this talk. I hope it encourages you. And I hope that it shapes ultimately not only how you love others, but first and foremost, I hope it shapes how you see God's love for you. So thank you for listening. 